1: Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next
0: generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. One more hour. The show's been flying. All right. Um, I want to share this story here just because I think it's interesting how we come to conclusions and just run with them without really thinking about it. If you're just tuning in, the whole first hour was about how to change someone's opinion on something. Um, And and the premise is the two facts. I think we talked about this last week, but we went a little further this morning or two hours ago. Um, We make opinions that fast. Like we make a judgment that fast and then we run with it and we only polish and perfect it because we want to prove ourselves right. Right? So we come to a position immediately that's what we think is right. And then we only look for things that prove how right we are. That's it. That's how it works. And everyone does it. Just how it goes. Now, if you want to change someone's mind on an issue, you have to go back to where they formed their initial opinion. And then talk about that. Where did you, where, so you, you hate Betsy DeVos, okay? Don't find out, don't ask why. Where, where did you form that opinion on her? And then explore that, and then you can start to pick it apart because they'll they'll realize they'll say, "Oh, um, well, actually, it was a fellow teacher of mine said that she's a horrible person." Okay, do you, do, you, do you do you trust that person? Uh, well, actually, I don't even like that teacher, but uh, I, I believed him on this this thing. Well, why why did you believe him about this? Well, I don't know. Do you want to come to your own conclusion about Betsy DeVos? Okay, well, let's talk about Betsy DeVos now, right? So you kind of like start to pick away at where they formed their initial opinion. Okay, so we talked about that earlier. This is similar. Um, and, and we talk about things like this from time to time. We debunk these major myths that go around. Uh, we've talked before about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch that doesn't exist. It <laughs> we, we just doesn't exist. And it's amazing because if I say uh, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, twice the size of Texas, 100 feet deep, spinning, swirling around in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, people can visualize it. You, You can visualize. If I say Great Pacific Garbage Patch, you have a vision in your head of what that looks like. But it doesn't exist. You made it up. That vision in your head of what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch looked like is made up because it doesn't exist. There are no pictures of it. It's not a thing. But why do people think not only it exists, why do people? Why can people visualize it? This is one that only you only get if you're a millennial. But a majority of millennials swear that they've seen a movie called Shazam where Sinbad plays a genie. Sinbad's a genie and, and he grants, like a kid rubs the lamp and he comes out of the lamp and grants the kid these wishes. A majority of millennials are like, oh, it's a great movie. I love that movie. It doesn't exist. There is no movie with Sinbad as a genie. It doesn't exist. Like, well, wait a second. Well, how, do, how can people swear they've seen it if it's not even a real movie? I don't know. The human brain's weird. Okay, I'll give another one here for you. Now, there is no such thing. Well, hold on. Before I tell you, focus on how, when I say this next sentence, focus on how it makes you feel. This is important. So when I say this sentence, just focus on how you feel. Okay? There is no such thing as secondhand smoke. All right, how do you feel about that? You probably got defensive. Your guard probably went up a bit. And you thought, well, of course there is. Why? Why did you have that reaction? Hmm, Because you've come to the conclusion that secondhand smoke kills. I'm telling you there's no such thing as secondhand smoke. And your first reaction is, of course, to be defensive about it. How interesting. Right, You've come to the conclusion that secondhand smoke is deadly. And I'm telling you, there's no such thing. Hmm. And you get defensive because your instinct is to prove yourself right and never to listen to something that may prove you to be wrong. Okay, here's the story. Helena, Montana, 2003, the first city in the country to, excuse me, first country in the world to ban smoking in workplaces, bars, restaurants, and casinos. In the first... Now, you know what? Time out. Because I can already feel that people are super defensive right now. Let me ask you this first. Before I go on and explain myself, I apologize. Where did you first hear that secondhand smoke kills? And if you listen to the first hour of the show, you know exactly what I'm doing right now. Where did you learn that? Where did you first hear that secondhand smoke kills? Where did you first hear about the health dangers of secondhand smoke? Probably don't remember. Can you remember? Do you remember the first time you heard it? I don't. Probably like health class in high school or something. I huh. Okay, so if you if you don't remember where you heard it for the first time. Why do you believe it? Do you know anyone who's died from secondhand smoke? Do you know anyone who's had a heart attack from secondhand smoke? Do you know anyone who has lung cancer because of secondhand smoke? Now let me be clear too. Smoking is bad for you. Smoking will kill you. Smoking will give you heart attacks and lung cancer and heart disease and all the rest. I'm talking about secondhand smoke. Do you know anyone who's who's died because of secondhand smoke? Okay, no, you don't. You don't know anyone. Yet you think it kills. How interesting. So you can't remember where you can't where you learned that secondhand smoke kills. You don't know anyone who it's killed. Yet I tell you it doesn't exist and you still get defensive. I'm not being rude. I'm just saying this is how everyone reacts to this. Okay, so here's the story. Helena, Montana, 2003, smoking ban. The first six months after the ban, the rate of heart attacks in the city went down 60%. Then a judge struck down the ban, so now you're allowed to smoke everywhere again, and the rate of heart attacks jumped back up to its previous level. When that happened, three anti-smoking advocates, there were two local doctors and a professor at UC San Francisco, they wrote a study about this. This is the professor quote, this striking finding suggests that protecting people from the toxins in secondhand smoke, not only makes life more pleasant, it immediately starts saving lives. Wow, so the premise here is that people were having heart attacks because of all, because there's people smoking in restaurants and in the sidewalks and workplaces and stuff. That wasn't allowed, people stopped having heart attacks, Then they were allowed to smoke again. People started having heart attacks again. Wow. Striking, right? Saving lives. Secondhand smoke causing heart attacks all over the place. Get rid of the secondhand smoke. No more heart attacks. Bring the secondhand smoke back. Everyone's dying. Unbelievable. That's all it took. Newspapers ran with it. New York Times, secondhand smoke kills. BBC, banning smoking in public places could prevent hundreds of deaths from heart disease. They just made that number up. All these groups made this claim, quote, even half an hour of secondhand smoke exposure causes heart damage similar to that of a habitual smoker. 30, 30 minutes, that's it, 30 minutes. There was a non-smoking group in Minnesota, they went even further. 30 seconds of exposure to secondhand smoke is akin to, uh, or excuse me, is uh, is just as bad as if you are an actual smoker. 30 seconds. Quote, even a small amount of exposure to secondhand smoke can cause a heart attack. Okay, obviously everyone went, uh, went loco and we started all these smoking bans all over the country. All right, so that's where it started. That's where the, the idea of secondhand smoke kills started. Helena, Montana, 2003. So why is this total bunk? One aspect of the scientific method is reproducibility. You need to be able to make an experiment and then be able to replicate it over and over and over again, right? The the thesis has to be testable and repeatable. If you can't do that, it's not science. It's not. So they study the results of smoking bans in cities all around the world. Not just in Helena, Montana. All around the world. Zero effect. From secondhand smoke. None. Again, no one denies that smoking is bad for you if you're a smoker. We're talking about secondhand smoke. Zero. So we have now 13 years of, uh, of studies, 13 years of, of uh, banning secondhand smoke. No effect. No effect on heart attacks or lung cancer or anything. Zero. So why was there such a dramatic reduction in, in Montana? Well, first of all, it's a tiny town, 68,000 people. In other similar sized towns where they did this, there was one town, there were only four heart attacks over four years. Four heart attacks in four years, that's not a proper study. So that means, let's say, I mean, so you can't even do this. There's one a year. Like you literally, So, so you could say, let's say in one year there was one heart attack and then they passed a smoking ban and the next year there's no heart attacks. You're going to say that the smoking ban dropped the heart attacks down to zero. Like no one, I mean like, it's not a proper study. That's, it's incomplete. So for the sake of time, I'll cut to the chase here. In every city where there's a smoking ban, zero statistical difference in heart attacks among people with secondhand smoke. Helena was a total fluke. Total fluke, small town where heart attacks just happened to go down when the smoking ban started and then happened to go back up when the smoking ban stopped. Just coincidence. Small town, not a proper sample size. You can't make huge conclusions based off of that. So we got a decade of research, no effect of secondhand smoke. But we're now at the point that no one, like, it's done. (laughs) Now, you may not be convinced. Let me tell you this. The people, the scientists I told you about earlier, the doctors earlier, who co-authored the the original study about secondhand smoke in Helena, they have come out and said, ah, yeah, we were wrong. (laughs) They've come out and admitted they were wrong. They said, again, the sample size of Helena was too small. They didn't take into account the effect that the heart attacks rates were already going down. And they said it was just a fluke month. And that was it. It's not just heart disease. The Journal of the National Cancer Institute, hardly a pro-tobacco publication, the National Cancer Institute, said, quote, there's no clear link between passive smoking, so secondhand smoke, and lung cancer. Now, I don't like, I, I, I'm not, I don't smoke. I, I don't like smoking. I, I don't like being around it. I think it smells bad. It makes my eyes burn. You may have asthma. It may trigger your asthma. That's definitely could be true. I don't like it. The libertarian property rights side of me says that a a bar should decide whether or not they want to have smoking or ban smoking. It should be left up to them. But I enjoy going to places without having smoke around me. Uh, I prefer not to have smoke around me. It's fine. But it's not going to kill you. It won't hurt your heart. It won't cause lung cancer. It's not going to kill you. And that's what this whole thing was based off of. It wasn't based off of, oh, you know, I don't like the smell of it. It was based off of secondhand smoke kills. It doesn't. Jonathan Swift, 1700, he said, Falsehood flies, and the truth comes limping after it. So that when men come to be undeceived, when they learn the truth, it's too late. The joke is over, and the tale hath had its effect. Now everyone's going to go to the grave thinking that secondhand smoke kills. And it doesn't. The truth came limping after. one 888 93 Did your mind change about secondhand smoke through this conversation? Again, go back to where you first heard about secondhand smoke. I'm curious. I'm curious where you first heard about it. one 888 probably don't even remember. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
1: Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak.
0: Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I think this is a worthy exercise for, for everything you believe. Go back. Where did I first think this? Where Where did I first hear that secondhand smoke was bad for you? And it's funny, the things that you can't even remember where you first heard is really something that you, you need to reconsider. And that's one. And the other one we talked about, uh, we do every Earth Day, we talk about how recycling is a total scam and you shouldn't do it. Um, because that's all based off the false premise that we're out of landfill space. We're not <laughs> at all. <laughs> we're definitely, definitely not out of landfill space. It's absurd. Um, and cyc- uh, recycling costs a ton of money, ten of energy, total waste of time, no reason to do it whatsoever. But where'd you first hear that we needed to do it, that you need to recycle? It's not true, but why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep, we keep just. We, just, we, define, we come to an uh, opinion, a conclusion, and then we just run with it no matter what. It's wild. So that's why I think it's so important to go back to the where. Um, we don't need to talk anymore about smoking. I, I I do think it's worth, though, talking about science for just a minute. Do not ever, and I, I can't stress this enough, I know in the last couple months, We've had a theme on the show of don't believe anything you read. The old standard used to be trust, but verify. Okay. So a newspaper or you see on TV, someone says something, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Let me check it out to see if that's true. Nope. Now it's, that's not true. Let me check to see if maybe it is. Right. You, you have to assume everything is wrong that you read or see on TV. Just have to, that's where we are and that's fine. But when it comes to science reporting, you can't believe a word like just don't even do it. I'm, I'm not going just don't do it unless it's a rep, a super reputable science magazine. Do not listen to anything in the newspaper or on TV about anything related to science. They have no clue. No clue. So a college friend of mine as a scientist and he sent over this cartoon. It's called The Science News Cycle. Uh, So this is how your, anything you read online or read on the, in the newspaper or whatever about science, this is how it starts. It says, uh, start here. Your research. Conclusion. A is correlated with B. P equals 0.56 given C, assuming D and under E conditions. That, your research, is translated by the university PR office. For immediate release, scientists find potential link between A and B. Under certain conditions. Which is then picked up by newswire organizations. Scientists say A causes B. Which is then picked up by cable news. A causes B all the time. What will this mean for Obama? And then caught up by local 4 eyewitness news. What you don't know about A can kill you. More at 11. Eventually leading to your grandma. I'm wearing this tin hat to ward off A. (laughs) And it all started with something very specific. A is correlated with B given C assuming D and under E conditions. Now my buddy wrote me this and he said, well, obviously say that this is a joke because no one would dare consider a P value of 0.56 a correlation. Also P is not an indicator of correlation, but rather a test to a hypothesis. So the author got it wrong. R squared would indicate correlation. Now I have no idea what that means. Like I, (laughs) I <laughs> have no clue what my buddy's talking about. But that's the point. Scientists do sciencey things. And then it gets so watered down that by the time it makes it to your local news promo, it's total trash. Because the, pro- promo, the promo, like the 10-minute promo we call, or 10-second promo, that's just some TV producer who's never taken a science class in his entire life since eighth, ninth grade. Has to fit something into 10 seconds and make it super sensational, Right. So they take the path of least resistance. What you don't know about A could kill you. And that's how we get our information. And then you get big headlines written by just a headline writer based off of all the science research that was actually done. That's way more um, like nuanced than, than a headline. It's so fascinating. So just never pay attention to science writing. And that includes secondhand smoke kills. That goes through so many layers of water down, water down, water down, water down. Just don't, don't believe it. I got 10 seconds, but um, we now know that the Fukushima reactor, like it hasn't leaked any, there's like no problems with the nuclear uh, meltdown or anything. And all the articles I read, quote, experts. And if you do a little research on the experts, they're all anti-nuclear activists. Obviously, they're against they're going to say horrible things about it. You just can't believe anything science-related you read. I, I hate that that's the case, but it's where we are. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On
1: the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Hello, Slater. Uh, So there's there's a call for a a progressive Tea Party or Democratic Party Tea Party movement or something, and we've seen uh, a little bit of it. Some angry town halls, yelling at congressmen, and uh, some people keeping Betsy DeVos out of a school in D.C. Right, blocking her from the entrance, even though she just went around the back. (laughs) Like no no headline told you that, right? Do you remember that? It was like a week or so ago. Betsy DeVos kept from going inside school and then dot, dot, dot for five minutes until she walked around the back. And then have you, did you see a picture of it? There were like eight people there keeping her. From, anyway, the question though is what's, what's, well, we'll see. I mean, I, we don't know yet because it hasn't really happened like the democratic party tea party, but I could take a pretty good guess. What's going to be the difference between the conservative tea party of 2008 and the democratic resistance of 2017 that's what they're calling it now the resistance what's the difference pretty simple the conservative tea party was looking to restore i'm gonna be bold here i'll just say it maybe you can think of another word i can give you the more pc word i guess but i'll just say the democratic party tea party is looking to destroy destroy what okay this is the important thing uh Conservatives in 2008 were looking to restore the Constitution, traditional values, family values, uh, economic principles, capitalism. We wanted to go back to the founding principles, which is why it was called the Tea Party, an ode to the founding of our country. The Democratic Tea Party is seeking to, again, I'll just say, destroy those things. I know that sounds dramatic, but I don't know. (laughs) I mean... I do know (laughs) just capitalism, the constitution, limited government. These are the principles that built this country and the democratic party. The progressive movement is in opposition to those things. They're not looking to restore anything about America. They're looking to destroy these different aspects of America. I guess if I was being more politically correct, um, I would say that the democratic tea party is looking to build something new, right? So, so conservatives are looking to restore progressives are looking to build something new and different now the problem with that is what they're building is actually not new it's it's actually more ancient than america right it's it's the american principles that are new and modern and final and perfect and there's nothing new you can do (laughs) and anything new is old just tweaked up a bit but it's still old let me let me see i calvin coolidge can explain this better than me Uh, i read this uh it comes up maybe once or twice a year Uh, It's Calvin Coolidge's uh, address on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And he says this. He says, about the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It's often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we've had new thoughts and new experiences, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter, the Declaration. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. And if anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward. Toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. And those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They're reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than the revolutionary fathers. Right, so when I say it, I'm a little bit wrong when I say that conservatives were looking to restore our founding principles, that's right. But when I say that Democrats are looking to build something new, they're not. It's, it's something older. They go, they want to go further back in time, to when, as Coolidge said, there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. you are saying, well, Senator, what are you talking about? Like, like universal health care, for instance. That's new. That's modern. There was no universal health care before our founding. Yes, don't, though, get sidetracked by the, the window dressing, if you will. Universal health care is not a new concept. I mean, let me say it like this. Healthcare, care, as we know it, is a new concept. But what it really is, universal health care, it's really just... I want to force someone else to pay for something I want. That's all that is. And you just changed what the it is, right? Or, or what I want. You just changed the what I want. But, but forcing someone else to pay for something I want is nothing new. That's actually the oldest idea. The modern idea is you can't force someone else to give you money for something you want. That, that's, that's the new modern American principle. So when a progressive says, well, universal healthcare is a a progressive modern idea, no. Healthcare, as we know it, is a new modern idea. But the ability or the desire to force someone else to pay for something you want, that is not new. That is not progressive. That is ancient. The progressive idea is in America, you can't force people to do things they don't want to do or pay for things they don't want to pay for. Big difference. Uh, Let me quote one more line here just because I got a minute. Calvin Coolidge. No other theory is adequate to explain or comprehend the Declaration of Independence. It is the product of the spiritual insight of the people. We live in an age of science and of abounding accumulation of material things. These did not create our Declaration. Our Declaration created them. The things of the spirit come first. Unless we cling to that, all our material prosperity, overwhelming though it may appear, will turn to a barren scepter in our grasp. So um, we live in an age of science and of abounding accumulation of material things. These did not create our declaration. Our declaration created them. So progressives think that things are so great now, right? And that's why, like we're so prosperous, we're so wealthy, Such a high standard of living, blah, blah, blah. And that's why socialized medicine, like right now, we need socialized medicine today so that everyone can have all these great things. Right? That's why Bernie Sanders says, and I think we talked about this two weeks ago, that uh, we're the only country in the world without universal health care. Right? So we're the only country, which means we need it. But he's got it backwards. We have these things. We have health care because of the Declaration of Independence. Because of freedom, because of free markets and free people, because of capitalism. So we don't need to run away from those things. It's, it's those things that made it so to even talk about socialized medicine. That could even be a concept. Free markets and free people created our overwhelming prosperity and abundance. So we need to stick with that. We need to restore free markets and free people. That's what we got to get back to. If we do something different, if we do something more ancient with no free markets and no free people, then that idea of healthcare as we know it today goes away. And universal healthcare won't even even be a possibility. We have to stick with the free markets and free people. and that That was what the Tea Party was all about in 2008. It's not what they're going to be doing um, for the next four years. They're all I just think they're always going to be fighting for something older and more ancient than America. That's backwards. It's going backwards. one 888 Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the
1: blaze radio network.
0: 888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on I know it was a week ago and uh, we're all past this but I'm sure this will all happen again the same kind of idea uh, so we've talked before about how in America we uh or our culture today is to out outrage each other mm-hmm. right it's all about being more outraged than anyone else so if something happens and you know I'm, I'm outraged by that and I'm way more outraged. I'm the most outraged. I can't even. And that, that was the whole Trump's executive order thing. That was a good example of that. And then a microcosm of that was the whole like Uber. I'm outraged by Trump's executive order. Lyft saying I'm way more outraged. And then Airbnb jumps in. I'm the most outraged. <laughs> what, what, what is going on here? So the opposite of that, or, or similarly, I should say, is we're supposed to be out blown away by things that we think society tells us we're supposed to be blown away by. Right? So society tells us that Amy Schumer is the funniest person in history. And Lena Dunham is the greatest voice of our generation. And Beyonce is a goddess beyond all comprehension. So when Beyonce performed at the Grammys last week, it was, I died. Right, it wasn't. Oh, like that was that was enjoyable or fine. It was. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't, I'm I'm crying. My bay. she slayed. I am nothing to her. Oh. Right. It's like, come on, people. It's it's interesting how we uh, we work we work like that, right? So I went to Huffington Post last week and I, I looked up uh, articles about it, and, and the headlines are all like, "Oh, Beyonce slayed the grand... And all the comments are like, um, I and mean, it was just fine. Like, <laughs> uh, she was just mostly naked with 50 singers and dancers, and it was okay. Can we stop the Beyonce worship? It's the same thing she always does, but you guys act like it's earth shattering. I'm sure she's lovely and all, but I don't get the near beatification of this woman. She's talented, but in the 90s, she'd be just another R&B singer. Not trying to hate, but the media acts like she's a god, right? So it goes on because we're supposed to be out blown away by each other by, by things that we think society says we should be out blown away by. Anyway, I, I wish my, my son, he's only four months. I wish he was older than I could share. Um, I could like watch this with him. And I just hope he'd be like, well, what, what's, and, and I could teach him the difference between idolizing a singer versus someone who does something truly admirable. I got three minutes. Let me share a quick story. Uh, our U.S. Grant story of the day, the Battle of Shiloh, beginning of the war, Civil War, April 6th and 7th, 18, excuse me, yeah, 1862, uh, Tennessee, Southwest Tennessee, Grant's first major battle. It was the second leading a large number of men, but this was his first major one, 60,000 Union soldiers, 40,000 Confederates. The night before the battle, the two camps slept within a mile of each other. At the end of the two days of fighting, 2,000 men killed on each side, 16,000 wounded, 4,000 captured or missing. Now, we, we can't even comprehend what that battlefield must have looked like. Bloodiest battle in American history until the one next year and then the one the year after that. But this was the first sign that the war was not going to be over in a week or two like people thought. But there's a detail of this battle Shiloh that, uh, that we should know. It was the end of the first night. Now, the Union army was pushed back to the river, not where they wanted to be. The Confederates were winning. Now, the Union guys, they thought this was actually going to be a pretty easy fight. They just came after, came out of a, of a battle that they won pretty simply. So they were overconfident. So that first night, defeated, started to rain. Light at first, and then just a drenching downpour. So just imagine, best you can, thousands of wounded men laying on the battlefield, desperate, hopeless, excruciating pain, varying stages of death. And 4,000 dead. It's cold, pitch black. It's not like there's lights on anywhere. Surrounded by other wounded and screaming or dead people from either side. And then pouring rain. What a miserable night that had to be. Major Grant with an injured ankle because his horse slipped in the mud and fell on his ankle. So he's throbbing in pain himself. The end of the first night, he had the opportunity to sleep in his dry log hut. But he chose to sleep outside in the rain, in the battlefield amongst his men. William Tecumseh Sherman found Grant around midnight. He went to the log hut first. He wasn't there. He's like, where's Grant? Went searching for him, found him around midnight. He had a lantern in one hand sitting under a tree, leaned up against the trunk of the tree, a lantern in one hand and a signature cigar between his teeth, and he had his hat slouched over his face to keep the rain out. And Sherman wasn't sure what Grant was going to do. We're like, Are we going to retreat in the morning? Live to fight another day? Get out of here? Sherman said, well, Grant, we've had the devil's own day, haven't we? And Grant replied, mm-hmm lick them tomorrow, though. And there was his answer. Somehow he got his men back in order tomorrow. They were able to reclaim what they lost the first day. And um, then the Confederates retreated and the unions, Union side you know, won that battle. The moral of that story for me is that Grant chose to sleep in the rain on the battlefield with his men. And still, amongst all that, refused to give up. That's true leadership right there. Please like the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We can hang out all week.
1: You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next
0: generation of talk radio. On
1: the Blaze Radio Network.